everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good, good, good. Uh, well, my name is Tony. Um, I uh, have the pleasure of being on the teaching team here um, at City of Lights. I just want to welcome you to um, just uh, spending some time uh, with our church family. It's, uh, it's such a blessing to be able to serve you and get to know everybody and, um, and just kind of um, just mingle with the people of God this morning. So I really um, just feel blessed by your presence here. So um, there's a lot of places you could be this morning. There's um, a lot of things you could be doing with your time, but, uh, but we're, we're thankful that you chose to be here with us. And so um, in terms of being other places, doing other things uh, with your time, I think that um, we, we can see church is just one of many possible things that we can be doing with our time. But, um, but, but you see, we don't, at City of Lights, we don't view church as, as a hobby, as a thing we just kind of like do on Sunday because it's fun, though it is fun to get together with everybody, but, but we actually enter here to experience the manifest presence of God in this room. And so um, I just, uh, my prayer for you today is that, that you've been able to, to experience a little bit of that and you continue to as we go on this morning. Um, that is for free, not even part of the message, so um, you can just take that with you. Um, so, um, a few months ago, I was um, part of a team building exercise. And so, um, I don't know if you've been through team building exercises before, uh, but they're usually um, some sort of uh, um, little activities or things you discuss with your groups, and, and, and you get different perspectives. And, and this team building activity was actually um, something that was um, from people from all different types of uh, organizations and all different types of um, entities who do different things. And so, it was very general in terms of how they were able to talk, but, um, but they told us that um, what they wanted to talk about with us in that two-hour session was the purpose of life. And I was like, all right, <laughs> finally, somebody's, somebody's going to tell me about the purpose of life in this team-building exercise in two hours. I'm really excited to hear what they have to say. Um, and so their premise was this, that um, through some studies and things that they quoted, that the philosophers and things, that the purpose of life is to gather as many experiences as possible. That's the purpose. And to me, First of all, that sounded more like an ad for a credit card than it did for actually like the purpose, like MasterCard, gain as many experiences as possible. But, um, and, and so then they, they have us kind of get together in teams and, and, you know, the team goes around and talks about, you know, hey, this is the experiences I want to do and this is the experiences I want to do. And they get to me and I'm like, actually, this, this, this premise kind of falls on its face because what if my purpose and my pursuit of experience kind of clashes with yours and then I don't really care about yours because I'm trying to gather experiences regardless of what you're doing. And, and once I've gathered an experience, I throw everything away and chase another... Needless to say, not much team was built in my group that morning. I kind of wreck these things. But we as Christians probably wouldn't say that. We wouldn't say that, that our goal, our pursuit, our purpose in life is to just gather a bunch of experiences or even to chase one specific experience, material experience in life. Um, but as I thought about that, I thought, you know, maybe actually sometimes I do. 
Maybe sometimes the pursuit and purpose of my life isn't Jesus, but is an experience that I'm chasing after. And so um, you may agree with that or disagree with that, but I would suggest to you this morning that the litmus test for whether your pursuit of life uh, is, is really just a certain experience might be your finances. Real quiet in this room. <laughs> and so... Um, Last week, um, to intro this series called First Fruits, um, John, Pastor John brought up uh, um, the kind of command on us to be generous, the, the attitude of our heart in terms of being generous, and, and even the aftermath of being generous, and, and how God blesses us through that generosity and changes us through that generosity. We put trust in him through generosity. Um, and today, I want to talk about I want to talk about maybe some reasons that we kind of stiff arm that some reasons, some things going on in us, some pursuits going on in us that maybe make us decide we're not quite going to be generous. Or maybe what's more popular is I'm not going to be generous yet. So someday I'm going to be generous, but, but it's not right now. And, and so we're going to talk about maybe why. So if you have a Bible, why don't you open to Haggai chapter 1, Old Testament, minor prophet, Haggai. And as you open... I want to kind of just give you my main idea, similar to those people in the team building exercise gave you me, made their main idea right to begin with, but my main idea looks a little bit different. So what I'm going to talk about this morning is good intentions go wrong, making us refuse to be generous, but God wants to redeem that. That's what I'm going to talk about this morning. And I'm going to split that up and talk about what that looks like in our lives. But, but that's the premise, is that we often have good intentions, but those things get twisted and they go wrong and make us really refuse to be generous in any way. But God wants to redeem that. So we're going to look at Haggai chapter 1, and then I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about a little bit what Jesus says about that. So um, Haggai chapter 1, we'll start in verse 1. In the year of King Darius... On the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. The Lord of army says, these people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second because I want to give you a little bit of a background. So in the Old Testament, the Old Testament really centers timeline-wise around, around this thing called the exile in which um, God allows Babylonians to come in and to um, destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and pull the, the Israelite people into exile for a time. Think, um, think Daniel. Think of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Think Nehemiah going back to rebuild the wall. All these stories center around this exile that happens. And so after the exile... Um, when the people of God finally, the Israelites finally moved back to Jerusalem, they moved back with um, fervor. They moved back with um, an angst in them that we are going to go back and rebuild the temple. We're going to go back and raise up what has been destroyed and worship our God together in this community within, and it centers around rebuilding the temple. And so um, Ezra chapter 4 kind of um, tells a little bit historically about this. Um, I'll just read you one quick verse. You don't have to turn there. But Ezra 4.24 says that now the construction of God's house in Jerusalem had stopped and remained at a standstill 
until the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. So that was the time we just talked about. And so um, the construction was at a standstill. They had moved back and they had stopped. And the matter of the fact is this, they had gotten back and just hadn't gotten around to it. They went to, they had this really great mission to build the temple and they just quite didn't get around to it. And we can really ridicule that, but I would suggest to you that maybe that is something that we do a lot, where we promise either other people or God things, and, and we just kind of don't get around to it because we get distracted really easily. Um, I think that one of the most oftentimes this happens with me is like when you tell somebody, hey, brother, sister, I'm praying for you. <laughs> How many times do you say, brother, sister, I'm praying for you, and you just quite don't get around to it? Oh, and, and what I used to do with this, I used to, when I when I'd hear somebody say something like what I just said, I'd be like, well, okay. You see, what I do is I say I'm going to pray for you, and then I throw up a quick prayer, like a 10-second prayer, and then I've done it. See, that way I'm not lying to them. But my question, but, but I don't know that when you said I'm praying for you, brother, sister, that that's what they think you mean, that you're just going to throw up a 10-second prayer. I kind of equate that maybe to like somebody who's going to fix something for you and just throws a bunch of tools at it and goes on with their day. God hears those 10-second prayers, those little rifle shot prayers. I mean, we see that in Nehemiah, but, but I think that oftentimes when we say we're going to pray for somebody, that the, the vision that they have is we are going to intercede, we are going to plead with the God of the universe that, they, that, they would, that God would enter into their story, enter into their lives, and, and, and change things and rearrange things and grow them. But once again, we just don't get around to it. And so that is where the people of God are right now. And so um, with that backdrop, we'll jump into verse 3 of Haggai, chapter 1. The, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It is a time for you yourselves to live in paneled houses. While this house lies in ruins, now the Lord of armies says this, Think carefully about your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. And so this brings me to one of three characters I'm going to introduce to you this morning that you might be identifying with of why we refuse to be generous. And this character I call is the spender. So the spender is somebody who um, you just, um, you want to give, you want to be generous to, God, to, to, to the church, and you want to be generous with other people, but, but, you know, there's just this thing that you want to get first, and then you'll do it, and then you get that thing, and then there's another thing that you need, and you want to keep trying to buy things to, um, to really make yourself externally look better and, and, and really impress people around you. And then you, you realize the truth that, that when you're trying to impress these people, either the people change or the, the standard to impress them keeps changing. And so you, you keep chasing after this moving target, buying more and more and more, until you finally end up in a place where you swipe the credit card, and that says, and every time you swipe the credit card, you, it really is you saying, I matter, I belong. This is the spender. And so, as I mentioned before, that there's good intentions that, that go bad. So, so 
I broke the spender down a little bit. So the good intention of the spender is this. God wants to bless the hard work of his people and provide for them. I mean, that's a good thing, right? So, so we work hard, we get money, and we provide for our families. God blesses us with things, and, and, and you know, you, you have that nice new ride or whatever it is that you, if, if you can bless other people with that, then great. And, and, and it's, not, it's not wrong to buy things. It's not wrong to enjoy things. But then that goes wrong when my value starts to become dependent on other people's view of how much stuff I have. So then I start to buy things to enjoy them, and then I realize that I get some attention from people, and then, and then I start to buy more things because the more stuff I have, the more attention I get. And when it comes to being generous, they often say this, I am not generous because I can't squeeze it into my budget. I just can't squeeze it in. I've got to buy this and this and this, and I've racked up a bunch of credit card debt buying all these things, so I just can't quite squeeze it into my budget to be generous to anybody. Um, but God wants to redeem that this morning. He wants to redeem the hold that material possessions and external opinions have on us. And Jesus speaks to this in Luke 12. So Jesus speaks directly to the spender, and he says this in Luke 12, 15. Watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. So there's Jesus speaking directly to that specific piece where he says that your life, your value, your worth actually has nothing to do with the amount or quality of possessions that you own. And so we return to Haggai chapter 1 to continue this story of the people. In verse 7, the Lord of armies says this, Think carefully about your ways. Go up into the hills and bring down lumber and build the house, and I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but when it amounted to little, when you bought the har- brought the harvest into your house, I ruined it. Why? This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Because my house still lies in ruins, with each of you is busy with his own house. So these people have expectations. They've built their wealth up and they have these expectations that life is going to be so much better once we have this this kind of a massed amount of of possessions, of material, of money. And so for those of you that that kind of listened to me talk about the spender and were like, yeah, tell them, get them, because these people are so irresponsible or, you know... I save everything that I have, so I'm, I'm not really in that camp. So the second person I want to talk about is the saver. So you expected much from all of your savings and all of your wealth that you build, but, but you got little out of it. And the saver, once again, has great intentions. The good intention of the saver is that it is good and right to prepare for emergencies and, in fact, biblical to leave an inheritance for generations to come. So if you're a saver, you've built up that retirement account, you've built up that savings account for an emergency, then there's actually nothing wrong with that. That's actually a very wise and prudent thing to do. But where it goes wrong is we we want to insulate ourselves from ever needing God because we have enough money. 
So we build up this savings account because it, just in case everything goes down the tubes, I've got enough money to handle it. I actually don't need any intervention from the almighty God of the universe. So I can come to church, I can worship, I can praise God because I know that when things go bad, I actually don't even need him. He's my last resort because my first resort is to dig into the bank account. And so maybe feeling like you matter doesn't come from swiping your credit card, doesn't come from amassing possessions, but feeling like you matter could happen even easier. All you have to do is get out your phone and open up the bank account and see that number. And that number reassures you that you matter. That number reassures you that everything's okay. And so God can be there, God cannot be there, but I'm safe because I have this money. And what, what, what Haggai is saying is that I know you expect a lot out of that, in an instant, that can go south really fast. And, and this retirement, this dream that you have, that you've been saving for, this future life where you're on a boat somewhere and like sailing across because you've saved enough money, and, and there's nothing wrong with being on a boat, I'm not saying that, but, but the truth of the matter is when you retire, I don't know that it's going to look that glamorous, you know. Because I think that there's a, there's a commercial I remember from a few years back where this couple kind of saves up for retirement and moves down south and then um, kind of keeps getting messages from their grandson and things like that and eventually moves back up to the cold north because they want to attend his soccer games and softball games and things like that. They quickly realize that, um, that even though we've saved for this future vision of what life looks like, that's our pursuit it turns out that's actually not kind of delivering the goods that we thought it would. And that our pursuit actually was, was kind of twisted because we thought that this was going to be a life of comfort and no problems. And, and, and the truth is when we get older, that's not always the case. When we get older and things get difficult, all of a sudden our perfect dream kind of gets shattered. And so everything we've been constantly putting into retirement, which it's good to have a retirement account, but it's been in pursuit of a vision that has never actually been there, that is never actually going to come to fruition. And so, um, and so they say, I'm not generous because my emergency fund and retirement aren't quite where I need them to be yet, but I will be generous soon. So as soon as we hit this number, I'll be the most generous person that you can find. But, but once I get that figured out, or, or, or if God would, you know, give me all this money, I would be super generous with it, but, but, but I'm not quite there yet, so I'll be generous later. That's often what the Savior says. Truth is that later never quite comes. That this someday that you're talking about actually really just means never. And God wants to redeem our lack of trust in Him and our hope placed in some future life of wealth this morning. So Jesus actually speaks, once again, Luke 12, right to the saver. Luke 12, 19 says this. Then I say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is when one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That we store up all of these riches and all of these wealth and all this wealth and, and, and it's not 
we refuse to be generous and, and, and we realize that that actually doesn't deliver identity. It doesn't deliver um, joy. So we'll, we'll return to Haggai for the continuation of the story in verse 10. Haggai chapter 1 verse 10 says this. So on your account, the skies have withheld the dew and the land and its crops, and I have summoned a drought on the fields and the hills, and on the grain, new wine, fresh oil, and whatever the ground yields, on man and animal, and on all that your hands produce. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the entire remnant of the people obeyed the Lord their God and the words of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. So the people feared the Lord. So what you see is that um, God had kind of taken, had caused some trouble for them in their wealth and their riches and what they built up. And, and so very delicately, I want to talk about the third person um, that I would call, so we have the spender, the saver, I would call this person the struggler. And and I don't want to begin to say that if you're struggling financially, that it is, it is simply just God punishing you until you're generous. I'm not at all trying to say that this morning. Um, but oftentimes, we can feel shame and regret for all the financial decisions we've made before. When the truth of the matter is this, you made financial decisions in the past, and maybe they didn't go well, but in the past you were just probably trying to survive. You were just probably making the best possible decision at the time that you thought was right and it may not have gone well. And I, and I speak from experience here because um, I vividly remember years ago um, about two in the morning laying in my bed um, with my cell phone kind of right next to me ringing and ringing because the American Express card was, was way past due and, and in a cold sweat, realizing that I couldn't give them anything because I didn't really have anything. In fact, I had done a, a payroll advance to even just pay other minimum payments, and I was completely stuck. And the anxiety and the stress weighed down on me so heavy that I was in a cold sweat, and the sweat and the tears laying there thinking about why hadn't I just done this differently when the truth was I didn't have much of a choice. So I don't want to, I don't want to heap shame, I don't want to heap condemnation on you if you are struggling financially, because that's real. And that often causes so much anxiety within us. So the good intention of the struggler is this, I need to steward what I have wisely and logically to pay these bills or debts. So I have this certain amount, and I've got this certain amount due, and I've got to be very strategic about it because there's not a whole lot of extra floating around. And, and once again, it's wise to steward your finances. It's wise to, to plan out and be strategic, to have the budget all figured out. But where it goes wrong is when we start to believe that God isn't big enough to rescue us and that we need to ultimately fix this. So the belief is this, that, that, that I need to very carefully steward everything and very carefully strategically plan everything because God's not going to show up. Or, or maybe 
that, that, that someday God will show up and just, just zap my finances and give me, you know, whatever amount of money it is that you need, and then he'll show up. But, but that's all really what I'm looking for. It's not, it's, not, it's not trust in him. And they often say this, I'm not generous because I just don't have it. And that is real. You feel that, that when you just, the, the, the money just doesn't quite add up. But this morning, God wants to redeem our faith in him. That, that we, sit, we celebrate, we say, Jesus, we love you. And, and then there's nothing that you can't do but, but some money, some earthly money and bills and debts are too big. That this God, we believe, you would say that he created the whole universe and everything in it, that he created you and he created me. And, and yet, you know, this bill is actually a little bit, I don't know, God can't quite get this much, so I'm going to have to kind of take care of it. You see, it's not that God specifically needs your money. He doesn't need your tithe. He doesn't need your generosity, but you need it. And so when you don't trust God, when you feel like I've got, to, um, I've got to take care of this myself, I have no idea how I'm going to get out of this, when you, in the midst of that, even when the numbers don't add up, when you start to say, you know what, I'm going to start giving God back what's his. I'm going to start being generous with what I have. All of a sudden, the trust starts going right along with it. And you start to realize you start to realize that God is bigger than all of this. And that God can do more with, with, with my 90% than, he can, than I can with my 100%. Or whatever the percentage is. And so, Jesus once again addresses this group in Luke 12. Verse 29, he says this, Don't strive for what you should eat or what you should drink. Don't be anxious, for the Gentile world eagerly seeks all of these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. He delights to provide everything that you need. So the fear is that if I don't, if I'm generous, that I just won't have enough to quite, to, to, to maybe to pay this bill or to eat. And, and do you think God doesn't realize that? God, in fact, it says God knows that. He knows exactly what you need. And I might even suggest this to you this morning, that what you need most is actually not that bill to be paid, but you actually need your heart to be rearranged a little bit so that you can understand that, that through being generous that I actually can trust God with whatever's happening. And so um, I want to... Um, I didn't really add this as a fourth kind of person, so we talked about this, this, the saver and the spender and the struggler, um, but, but I did want to quickly discuss um, what I would call the skeptic. And so um, one other possible reason that we are not generous, one other possible reason that we can often refuse and kind of stiff arm that area of our lives is that we can say that... Um, you see, these, these organizations are all corrupt, and they're not going to do anything, and I've got to follow exactly what they're doing with my money, and, and I can't really trust these people. And, um, and, and I didn't talk about it all. I didn't bring it up as, as, as a fourth person really 
One, because I think if you look around, you see that this is probably not a money-making operation where we're all getting rich here. So I don't think you see that in this church, but, but, but I understand those things. And, and those are some real concerns in terms of, you know, what an organization or what a person or what a church would do if you're generous to them. But I might challenge that a little bit this morning, that if, if skepticism is, is your kind of argument, that maybe one of these other three are really what's going on, and you're kind of masking it by saying, well, you can't trust anybody. Maybe I love my savings account so much that I don't even want to touch, I don't even want to touch my savings plan or my investment plan. So I'm just going to say that everyone else is really trying to just get my money to get rich and I don't want to give to them. Um, but here's the thing. I've learned this in my time of following Jesus, which a little over a decade, that God tends to clean his house. God tends to monitor what's going on. And oftentimes our, our, our thirst for justice is really something that God can take care of. When somebody is using um, his name to wrongfully make money, to manipulate people, to push people down financially, he sees it. And he does not take kindly specifically to those types of individuals. And so, if you are the spender, if you kind of wrap everything up in, um, in, in what you have, I might challenge that this morning and tell you that, okay, um, in the last 10 years, has anything so far satisfied that longing? Has anything so far that you've bought really brought some kind of joy and fulfillment to your life for more than an hour? And if you're the saver, let me ask this. So, so is the number that you said you needed to save before being generous, has that number been the same? Because you probably would have hit it by now, right? Or is that number keep getting kicked down the road further because, oh, I need this. No, I need more for this, and I'll be generous some other time. And if you're struggling financially, is your trust in the right place? Do you feel the weight of the world on your shoulders as you walk in here because of, because of a debt collector? When you worship the God of the universe... So maybe we can start to put our faith and trust in him because this, the end of the story in Haggai, chapter 13, God's final message in this passage says this. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, delivered the Lord's message to the people and said, I am with you. This is the Lord's declaration. And that's his declaration for you this morning. Is that you're not walking through this alone. Whatever the uncertainty of the future or the, or the messiness of the present or the, the mistakes of the past, that God was with you then, he's with you now, he'll be with you in the future. And he has got this. So maybe an alternative path. Maybe you fall into one of these camps, maybe a little bit of multiple, or maybe something else, but an alternative path this morning that we could walk through. 
is walking in generosity. Walking in generosity that doesn't make sense to the people around us, that doesn't make sense to our financial advisor, that doesn't make sense to our bill collectors, that doesn't make sense to our families. Walking in a generosity that is just ridiculous when it comes to looking at other people. To be joyfully generous. The Bible even paints a picture of somebody that is hysterical about their generosity because they're so excited. An alternative path like that, God has promised to bless. In fact, God specifically says, you don't believe it? Test me. Test me. Take a step and test me in this and watch if I don't blow your life up. Watch if I don't completely alter your finances. Watch if I don't completely change your stress levels. Watch if I don't completely remove your gaze from that, that phone that has the number on it that you either, either love or dread. Test me. May we all test him this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a generous God. Thank you for modeling generosity in its most perfect way through your son Jesus. Through him coming down and him giving himself up for us. Through him showing us the model of what perfect generosity can look like, God. I pray that we walk into just a little bit of that, God. And I pray that for those that are generous, that you encourage them this morning. You, you bless them for their generosity. And you encourage everybody to take one more step. You encourage everybody to take a, take a step out in, into faith in you, God. Into trust in you. Into hope in you. Into the belief that you are bigger and stronger stronger than anything this world can bring. God, I pray that you would bless us in this area, yes, of finances, but, but more importantly, bless our heart because that is our pursuit. God, God, reshape our heart. Do some heart surgery this morning. Remove money's grip on all of us. And may we cling fast, not to money, but to you, not to possessions, but to you, not to a struggle, but to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.